Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Glory to thee, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Is there fear in love? We heard in our reading from the first epistle of John, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and he who fears is not perfected in love. But can that possibly be true? There are, of course, the fears that are parasitic on love, like the fear of rejection. But surely the fear of rejection does not belong to love itself. And yet, I would still like to dare and take issue with this claim, this idea that there is no fear in love. Now perhaps you have perfect powers of self-control. And so this has never happened to you, but the scenario will be familiar anyway. Anger has torn through your carefully ordered emotional world. And in a fit of rage, rage directed at someone you love, you let slip that wounding comment that because you know and love this person, no sooner has it left your mouth that you're apologizing aghast that you said that, that you went there. You didn't mean it. It shocks you that you said it because part of your love, part of your love, at least to this point, the love you have for this person, is knowing this weakness and protecting it, being part of the defenses around it, 
but in a peak of anger, you've betrayed it. And this is an example of how love can function not to cast out fear, but rather to lock it in. Could you disagree that love knows weaknesses and shares in their protection? It is, after all, one of those half-truths of psychology that love enables. And it's not just something you do for your closest relations, for the people you love, but you expect it in return. Have you ever reflected on the extent to which the happiness of the people you love has power over you? Have you ever awoken with a start in the night, with their well-being utterly controlling your thoughts? Or perhaps in some dark moment, more selfishly considered your own weaknesses? the ones known to those you love and resented their knowledge of you. How easily they could turn and wound you. The mere possibility can even move you to despise the people you love. And so there's no shame like the shame we feel before those we love. What a cause for fear love is. How can fear so extensively interlock with love? How can an emotion that had a shouting internally get control of yourself when you're in the throes of romance transform into a careful truce of frightened, ordered balance? Despite our initial longing to give ourselves over in love, we find those impulses ever more confined by an emerging calculus of distrust, fueled by these fears, fears that somehow weasel their way into the core of our love. In Luke's gospel, Jesus declared, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his life, he cannot be my disciple. Nobody likes hearing that verse. I don't. And perhaps you're already preparing the elevator speech about how Jesus goes on to say, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So clearly he's not speaking literally, and he's merely telling us how costly and miserable Christian discipleship will be. But hold it right there. How costly and miserable Christian life is? Isn't this the same Savior who declared that he came, that we might have life and have it abundantly? Wouldn't it be more consistent 
sound more like the voice of our sweet Savior if Jesus were inviting us to take that life of fear-riddled, imperfect love, that life with all its carefully constructed ramparts of self-defense, shared tenuously among families and those we love, and crucify it. Crucify it that we might be resurrected to enjoy abundant life even now. For first John does not speak of any cloying or saccharine love, but states plainly, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins so that we might live through him. This is perfect love, a self-emptying love, a love which makes no truces, that expects no exchange, but simply gives, gives of itself. Jesus Christ died for a world populated exclusively by sinners, and that includes us. There was nothing to exchange. There was and is nothing we can offer to earn what he has freely given. God's love is not a truce. God's love in Christ is a perfect love, a most marvelous love which casts out fear because it takes the punishment and pain we deserve upon itself freely. And John declares, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. But don't make the mistake of thinking that this love is only of consequence on judgment day. No. As he is, so also are we in this world. Those last words are pivotal with respect to all the fears that plague and corrupt our love. Because of the cruciform cross shape of God's self-emptying love, we can cast all our weaknesses on him. We needn't hide them, but can revel in God's grace. Whether there are sins or merely the weaknesses that show how dependent we are upon him, they all point to the goodness of God in Christ. For the knowledge that comes with love loses its power to wound when these secrets are no condemnation but an occasion to marvel at God's boundless 
mercy. And this liberation means you can put to death that life of imperfect love, corrupted as it is by fear. So take up your cross and nail that hateful life of compromised love to it. For as surely as Christ rose from the dead, so too shall you find yourself raised to new life. A life in which, right here, right now, you can love as your heart longs to. A life in which you can give yourself freely. Give yourself with reckless abandon, rejoicing in the knowledge that you have been given an irrevocable love far greater than any other. And that this life is but one degree of the perfection of love that shall be ours forever in the life to come. Amen.